Rusty Quill presents. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Sorkum Treya Ipoatade Kits A L E D Ni Im I Welcome to Spirit Box Radio's Community and Advice segment with your temporary host, Sam Enfield. Yes, faithful listeners, it's still me standing in for Madame Marie. There have been no new updates as to her whereabouts, although something very strange did happen this morning. As you know, before Madame Marie disappeared, looking after the P.O. box was my job here at Spirit Box Radio. And whilst I'm now having to host the show, the job still needs doing, so I collected the letters from the P.O. box and I thought I'd sit and listen to the channel for a while, see if anyone wants to reach me. And then I got up, and as I was on my way back, the stack of letters I'd left on the desk shifted as though rustled in a gentle breeze, as though someone had left open a window somewhere and a tiny breath of outside had danced its way in to stir them. But, faithful listeners, there are no windows in the Spirit Box Radio studio. I am absolutely certain of this because the studio is in a basement. Yes, it's most peculiar. There is almost certainly some kind of supernatural cause to this breeze. Madame Marie left out quite a few books on the desk, and I've been flipping through them to see if there's anything that might indicate why there is suddenly some kind of draft in this room that's six feet underground. A couple of the tomes I've had to write off right away because they're written in some incomprehensible runes. Well, to me, they're incomprehensible. Someone else could clearly comprehend them quite well, as there are an abundance of notes in red ink cluttering up the margins. At first, I thought the notes too were written in runes, albeit very different ones, but when I ran a finger over them, I realised they'd left an impression in the page to suggest that they are written in Biro, and who on earth is writing runes in Biro? You'd at least get a fountain pen, surely. Anyhow, once I'd realised this, I caught sight of the notes in one of the broken shards sticking out of Madame Marie's broken hand mirror collection, and some of them were in mirror writing. 
As you can imagine, that was pretty exciting. And I felt a bit Sherlock Holmes, you know? Only when I actually read the notes, they were not very useful at all and only served to confuse me even more about the runes they were referring to. Another of the books on the desk was about tarot reading, which I was absolutely delighted to come across. Of course, Madame Marie kept all of her books about the general occult down here in the studio, so I never had a chance to properly look at them. But now I'm getting a real look at this guide to tarot, I'm finding it quite thrilling and informative. Someone actually wrote into the show last week asking for a tarot reading, but of course, having no real spiritual gift and having yet to study the wonders contained in the book before me, I didn't even bring it up. I just put it into the growing pile of requests for Madame Marie to attend to upon her return from wherever she's gone to. However, with this trusty guide, I think I'm going to give it a go. The reading request comes from Miriam in Bedfordshire, who would like to consult the deck on whether or not she ought to apply for a new position at work. An opportunity to put herself forward for a promotion has come up, but she's not sure she should take it. Well, Miriam, I'm not sure how reliable this will be, what with this being my first ever reading for someone else, but how exciting, live on air, on my favourite radio show, where I'm now the host. Okay, so just like the book said, I've been getting to know the deck. I've been sleeping with it next to me in bed, tucking it in, I even made it a cup of coffee this morning. I know it's a bit soon to say, but I think we do get on. Something of a relief, really, as it's the only deck I've been able to find, and apparently it's bad luck to buy them for yourself, according to this book. Anyway, so here we go. I'll cut the deck with my left hand and pull the card on top, which is... Death. Hmm. Death. Now, what does that mean? Let's have a look. Oh, oh dear. Was it upright or reversed? I was holding it sort of sideways. Goodness, this is complicated. Well, that means it's either going to be resistance to change or oh, embracing it. So, hmm, I should probably do that again. I'll just, I'll just, I'll shuffle the deck and okay, here we go. Cut the deck with my left hand and hold the card on top in a normal way, Sam, you foolish boy. And oh, death again upside down which i think means go for it the promotion i mean i don't know i, I can't really just let me have another look at the book um... okay i need to try to feel more about the question apparently i'll shuffle the cards again and ask it out loud should Miriam from Bedfordshire put herself forwards for that promotion? And I've drawn the death. This is a lot harder than I thought. Anyway, Miriam, I think you should go for it. Your handwriting is very beautiful, but there's something about it which gives me the strong impression that you're holding back and could definitely do with a little bit more belief in yourself. What's the worst that could happen after all? You keep getting death and that's apparently a good sign. Anyway, whilst that didn't go exactly brilliantly, I think it was good for a first try. Maybe I'll learn a little more once I get past chapter one. Madame Marie had not dined to provide me with an degree forecast for the coming week, so I suppose, as we've already started doing so by addressing Miriam's tarot reading, we ought to move on to the letters. Back when I was just the P.O. box boy, which I'll be more than happy to go back to when Madame Marie comes back, of course. I used to love sorting through all of your letters into the studio. 
sometimes I would sit and read them start to finish in order to properly sort them. But of course, sometimes when I pick them up, I could tell right away which pile they needed to go into. It's just common sense, isn't it? Anyway, it was a real pleasure sorting through all of the physical letters, but unfortunately, the only thing we received in our PO box this week was a scrap of cloth with a stiff brown stain on it. And a stamp and a proper address, of course, else it would have never got to us, but that doesn't make for a very entertaining reading. We have, however, received numerous emails. I don't know too much about technology. I'm only muddling my way through presenting this show by virtue of all of Madame Marie's notes. So I'm not actually sure how the sorting feature on Madame Marie's laptop actually works. But what I can conclusively tell you is that a good deal of the emails she gets don't have a sender attached to them. So there must be some kind of filter. I've tried looking for where that setting would be, but when it comes to computers, I don't really know what I'm doing. Well, I don't know what I'm doing with most things, really. Anyhow, I thought it would be exciting if I picked out an email which did have a sender attached. This one was sent in by Mr. Colin Donald Rowlands, to be precise. Here's what Colin had to say. I've been using the library in my hometown real since I was a kid. It's quite big as local libraries go, especially nowadays, but... A part of the reason the council keep paying to keep it open is because over the years the building has become somewhat multi-use. There's a little cafe that sells the usual greasy spoon fare, you know, fry-ups, cups of tea so strong your spoon stays standing up when you stop stirring. Real good hearty food. Upstairs there's a little museum. As museums go, it's a bit of a poor show. One room, local items and glass-fronted cabinets, like a very well-organised attic, more than a curated collection. Still, it's better than nothing, and in a town like Rill, it's hard to muster a real sense of community spirit. Rill is a seaside town which really made a name for itself with the emerging middle class of Victorian holidaygoers. They take newly minted trains down the coast to get some fresh air away from the city. The train station is still very grand, although a little rough and rusty around the edges, and walking down the promenade on the seafront you can see the ghosts of this more illustrious past in the facades of the large terraces that overlook the sea. It's pretty desolate these days. It has a reputation for violence and drugs, and speaking from my experience on the few nights on the town I've had, it's earned them. As well as the museum and the cafe, the council runs a few essential services out of the library, helping people with their council tax and housing benefits, that sort of thing. This change is actually pretty recent, and to be honest, I wasn't really sure about it at first. It did change the atmosphere of the place quite significantly, skewing wildly from the parents and young children and the lonely and elderly to a mishmash of the desperate, frustrated and truly not wanting to be there right now and the not-so-savoury. You may be thinking me judgmental, but I myself collect unemployment payments and would not dream to cast aspersions upon others who do the same. Anyhow, after my initial reservations, I have grown quite fond of the various characters I see coming into the library, and I quite enjoy seeing the regulars come in. There are a few who need help processing paperwork and those who pay cash in hand for their council flats. There's the old guard who come in for the books and nothing else, and then there are the troublemakers. Not that I derive any particular pleasure from uh, overhearing verbal abuse, but I have come to recognise and anticipate which of these characters will show up on what particular days, and why they may be kicking off this time. There is one guy in particular in his early 40s with a tattoo on his neck that reads Sonia in vaguely gothic lettering. 
He has a sort of Cockney accent, even though I have it on good authority. He was not born far from the library itself and has most likely never even visited London, so I can only assume that the accent is affected from watching a lifetime's worth of EastEnders. He seems to have modelled himself on the once mainstay Walford Square villain Bill Mitchell, wearing exclusively ill-fitting jeans and shell suits. He carries with him a packet of rolling tobacco and a small bottle of liquor wherever he goes. The smell of stale smoke and alcohol doesn't leave the library until a few minutes after he has. I've grown quite used to his ways and rhythms, sort of like an odd calendar, to such an extent that I could reliably say what day of the week and month it is by which person in particular is yelling at the library staff. As such, the staff have a relatively high turnover, and every few months there's someone new on the front desk. A couple of months ago, this very elderly woman was sitting behind the desk when I came into the library. When I say very elderly, I mean it. At first, I was sure she'd mistakenly thought the chairs behind the desk were available seating and had sat there by mistake. But when I asked her, she simply smiled an incredibly wrinkled smile and told me that she was the new librarian. I was very pleased about this. Real Library has not had a proper librarian in a very long time, with all the cutbacks and the amount of council work that the staff have to do. I thought, maybe with a proper librarian, we might actually start getting some new books. That didn't happen. At least, not exactly. The libraries, as I'm sure you're aware, have quite high standards for the volumes they keep on their shelves, but after the new librarian started, I noticed some of the standards were slipping a bit. I'd see books with tattered covers on full display, others where the spine had totally split, shoved haphazardly together, not even sellotaped. And over the weeks and months, I began to notice a smell. A, a sweet, sour sort of smell, like rotting groceries, which would come and go as I perused the shelves. I wondered at it at first. Perhaps the old librarian had gone senile. I never said anything, of course, in part because of the other thing I'd noticed since the old librarian started on the front desk. The rowdy clientele was becoming significantly less rowdy. Or rather, the troublemakers I'd come to measure my days by were no longer coming in at all. Over the next few weeks, I noticed something else rather odd. Sometimes one of the rowdier clients would approach the front desk and speak to the librarian, who she told to go and wait for her upstairs in the reading room. This perplexed me. For all of Real Library's many facilities, it most certainly does not have a reading room. Still, all of the people who she told to go to the reading room would nod solemnly and trail their way up to the library's second floor. After a little while, the librarian would follow them and would not return for the rest of the time that I spent in the library that day. The second floor of Real Library does not have many books. There is a wall of reference texts, a cluster of computers and a microfiche. There's a little archway which leads to the museum, and two red doors, neither of which are very big. One of the doors leads to the staff room, the other to the office of the librarian, both of which are locked to the public and very clearly labelled. In the museum, there is another door to another office, according to the sign on that door, and this door is blue. That's all of the doors that there are on the second floor of Real Library, certainly nothing even remotely resembling a reading room. Before the librarian told people to go up to the reading room, she would always type something into the computer at the desk, look at the screen for a long, long time and return to them with something like, you've never created a library card, or you owe such and such late fees. 
One Tuesday afternoon, Bargain Bin Mitchell came in with his usual complaints about his housing benefit, or that he was due to get more money for something else, and almost as soon as he launched into his tirade, the librarian leaned across the desk and said, You took out a book some time ago and it was never returned to our shelves. Bargain Bin Mitchell was furious about this, proclaiming he'd never taken out a book in his life. Well, apparently he had, said the librarian. He would have been about eight years old and the book was about cowboys. Cowboys? Bargain Bin Mitchell shouted. I don't even like cowboys. Are you saying I'm gay? <laughs> At this, the librarian sat back in her chair and said, coolly, You ought to be quiet. This is a library after all. Would you perhaps wait for me in the reading room? Bargain Bin Mitchell's face went bright red. I thought for sure he was going to start shouting the house off, but despite flapping his mouth open and closed a few times, no sound came out of him. Without another word, he slouched off up the stairs to the second floor. I don't really know what compelled me to do it. I was curious, I suppose, and hoping to overhear whatever the librarian said to these troublemakers to get them to shut up and go away. I followed Bargain Bin Mitchell up the stairs, holding my breath, of course, giving a few paces behind him. He veered to the right into the museum. As I got to the top of the stairs, I heard a heavy thud a large door slamming shut. I dawdled for a while by the microfiche, twiddling my thumbs, and I followed him into the museum. Everything was in its right place except for Bargain Bin Mitchell, who was nowhere to be seen, and also between the glass box of the old newspaper cuttings and the one of the old tatty train tickets, there was a large red door. It seemed to be made of a very heavy hard wood, painted red some time ago. The paint was peeling in places, and where it was I could see layers of other paint, all red in various shades. Every other door in the library is made out of heavy-duty MDF, and the building is fairly new. None of the doors are made of hard wood. Certainly not like this one, anyway. At eye level, the door was labelled, just like all the other doors, except not with a little plastic board with the council's logo in the corner, but tarnished brass. It said, simply, Reading Room. Let me tell you, I have been to this library every day of my life and this door was definitely not in the museum prior. And as I was standing there, staring at it, the old librarian bustled past me and pushed the door open, dragging a mop and bucket in behind herself. Inside the reading room appeared much darker than the rest of the library and I couldn't see much beyond the door. I braced myself for it and as the door swung shut again, I allowed myself to release the breath that I'd been holding. And that's when I caught it. The smell. This horrid, sweet, sour rot I'd been smelling off and on in the library for weeks. And yet, somehow, it was different. Changed. So thick and warm, it was overwhelming, and I thought for a moment I was going to be sick. I stared at the closed door. The paint, as well as cracked and peeling in places, was also strangely bulbous, as though swollen, as though threatening to burst. I don't know why, but my hand was reaching out to the large door handle, my eyes fixed on the brass sign, the words reading room etched deliberately into the metal. I gripped the handle and pressed down, and I felt the door beginning to swing in, the smell impossibly strong but different as the air from inside the reading room rushed out to meet me, and I caught it then, that subtle difference I'd noticed before. Stale cigarette smoke, and weeks of grime and body odour, and beneath it all, like a new bass note in a horrible perfume, the unmistakable stink of meat. 
I stood there for a little while, but I couldn't hear anything else from the other side of the door. And it was getting quite late into the morning, and I was starting to get peckish, so after half an hour or so, I left. Does this sound like any sort of ghostly encounters you've had before? Regards, Colin Donald Rowlands. Well, Colin, that's certainly a very interesting story, but my personal experiences with ghosts are actually rather limited, as I imagine are most people's. Of course, though it's not been addressed, I assume this email was intended for Madame Marie, who no doubt has a lot more of a way with these sorts of things than me. Uh, Just a lowly P.O. box boy. I have had several unfortunate encounters with very strange doors, but I don't know if any of them would really be relevant. And goodness, we've been talking about this for a really long time now, and I should probably think about closing this advice and community segment. As always, please talk to each other on the forums and send your queries into us at Spirit Box Radio if you'd like to get in touch. Of course, by us at the moment, what I really mean is me. And as I keep saying, my experience is really limited. But when Madame Marie is back, I am completely certain she will be back soon. Maybe she can do some kind of extended edition of the advice and community segment where she addresses all of these letters and inquiries that I've probably botched. I'm sure it won't be long before she's back. I'm I'm certain of it. Well, uh, for now, anyway, uh, I've been Sam Anfield. This is Spirit Box Radio. Thank you and good night. Spirit Box Radio is distributed by Hanging Source Studios under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 international license. The show was created, directed and produced by me, Ada Major, the voice of Sam Enfield. Music is by Maybe Wednesday. Find out more about us at hangingsourcestudios.wordpress.com where you'll also find transcripts of all of our episodes. You can support the show at patreon.com forward slash hangingsourcestudios. Spirit Box Radio is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Tune in. Get spooky.